So Matthew 15, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands must defile them. We are now approaching the end on the sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And when we think of commandments or rules, we tend to think uh, those are restrictions. Those are joy or kills. But as we've been seeing, these are indeed rules for living in God's freedom. Rather than taking our freedom away, we see that as we live these out in the light of Jesus' teaching, that our way to live in the freedom that God had designed us for. Because we've been learning that God saved the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt so that they would be a free people, free to love their God and to free to love one another the way that God intended. And for Christians, we know that Jesus Christ is our saviour who frees us from the bondage of sin and the fallenness of this world so that we might be free to love God and to love one another the way that God had intended it. And so the Ten Commandments are concrete ways for us to be God's people, to love God and to love one another. The Commandments 1 to 4 show us how we are to love God, and Commandments 6 to 10 show us how to love one another. And today, we now get to Commandment number 9, which is this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. As we read that, we can really see that the concern for this commandment is social justice. It's so evident that it's all about social justice in this ninth commandment. The expression, give false testimony, is identifiably a legal term which takes us right into the context of the court of law. Truth in speech in a court of law is a fundamental condition of upholding justice in a fair society. This commandment, you could say, is the bedrock of establishing and upholding a proper judicial system. Most directly, the ninth commandment is prohibiting perjury, submitting false or misleading evidence against another in the court of law. I think we've got a few lawyers here who would be very familiar with that term. If not, you'd be like me who follow suits and you see that word perjury thrown out all the time. And they seem to somehow not commit that. Um, in a lot of grey areas. And so we know that whether you watch Suits or whether you're a lawyer yourself, giving true testimony about one's neighbour is a way of achieving justice. Truth is essentially needed for a just society. And so the Ninth Commandment therefore instills a sense of due diligence for judges and ordinary citizens alike to pursue justice on the basis of truth. 
In this commandment, God is concerned about both the rightness of justice and people's right to justice. For God is a God of truth speaking and a God of justice. This means as his people, we are also to have concerns for justice generally. God condemns falsehood, favoritism and bribery and anything else that prevents the course of justice. And so we want to promote and uphold uphold these principles of justice in seeking truth in our legal system. I must admit I'm no legal expert, but in general I'm grateful that in Australia with our legal system, which may have its faults, but overall it seems to be based on this principle and concept of justice. If you speak to friends who are from elsewhere in the world where corruption and bribery are normal, we realise that we should be very thankful as Australian citizens. The immediate context of the Ninth Commandment is the law courts, but like all the other commandments, it has a wider application too. The other principle behind this commandment is respecting the reputations of other. A false testimony or false accusation distorts the perception and reputation of a person's character and behaviour. This is called slander. Slander is passing along false accusations or false opinions. Slander is passing along unsubstantiated reports. Slander also includes assuming the worst possible motives for another person's intentions and refusing to ever give people the benefit of the doubt. Slander is also joining in condemning another without a hearing, without talking or listening to the one accused. And when we pause and when we have a think about what slander is, as I describe, as we think about perhaps the conversations about the people we've had, even perhaps this week, we realise this actually happens all the time. When we pause and think, we realise that perhaps although we might champion social justice nationally and globally, Perhaps we are actually very quick to make assumptions, reach conclusions and make judgments of people. We may all champion social justice in the world, but if we pause and think just for a second, do we even think and act with the principles of justice and fairness in the way that we treat our immediate relationships? Do you feel convicted of this hypocrisy of our cheer for social justice in the world, yet in your immediate relationship, do you forget to give the opportunity to hear the other person before making a judgment? Does the principle of innocent until proven guilty not register with your immediate relationships? Do you find yourself quick to judge others or quick to make elaborate hypotheses and speculations about a person's actions and behaviours? Are you convicted of the hypocrisy of cheering for social justice but not acting justly with the people you come across every day? Do you feel convicted? Because I, I feel convicted. And so we need to be very careful that just because slander happens outside of the court, it doesn't have consequences. It does. The slander that happens outside of the courts has the potential to alter a person's relationship upon false information and on false grounds. See, slander can 
destructively bring unjust relational and communal consequences for another person. Do you see, slander doesn't result in a legal verdict, but it does result in a communal verdict. Slander doesn't result in a legal verdict, but it does result in a communal verdict. See, slander is very hurtful because you're not facing the misinformed judgments of an anonymous jury who don't know you personally, but you're facing the misinformed judgments of close family, dear friends, work colleagues, and church family. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know that it is an acutely painful experience. Every fibre of your being cries and demands justice in the face of the people who are closest to you. And so closely related to slander is gossip. And Graham Bainan, in his book, Surprised by the Commandments, explains the difference between slander and gossip really well. He says, gossip isn't the slander as... uh, Gossip isn't the same as slander in that it is usually true, but it often involves half-truth, an angle on the truth, or truth that should remain private. People are blamed for mistakes, their failing are exaggerated, and unfair negative things are said about them. We like gossip because it usually tarnishes someone's reputation, and our culture loves celebrity gossip because we can now look down on those who we thought were above us. And Ray Otland, a pastor in America, wrote a very great article on gossip. In the article, he gave a piercing explanation of why we like gossip. And I'll read out a large chunk of this article because it's just so piercing and just so insightful. So I'm just going to read out a very large chunk uh, by Ray Otland. He says, gossip is our dark moral fervor eagerly seeking gratification. Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. It makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. It makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone we are jealous of. It makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else guilty. Gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but is of the flesh, not of the spirit. Adultery too is a serious sin and one likely to be disciplined in the church, but I have never seen a church split over the sin of adultery. Gossip is a sin rarely disciplined, but more often socially destructive than the sensational sins. Gossip leaves a wild trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. Word of mouth, email, blogging, YouTube. It erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what it's being said behind their backs and whether appearance of friendships are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people to taking sides where no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference doing violence to the gossiper, to the one receiving the gossip and to the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. 
It robs our Lord of the church he deserves. It exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. Then we wonder, why don't we see more conversions? Why the ground is so hard? What should we do when a conversation starts slipping into gossip? We should immediately challenge the sin. Hey friends, sorry to interrupt, but this is gossip. So here's the deal. This conversation is now on hold until you get, fill the blank, insert the name, and then you can start over and say whatever you feel you must say right to his face. I'm willing to be a witness to that conversation, but I will not participate in gossip. What do you choose to do? And Amy Carmichael establishes rule at her mission station, never about, always to. Never about, always to. I think this is a great, memorable rule to shut down slander and gossip. Slandering and gossiping can usually start from complaining and grumbling. Grumbling meets gossip when we openly complain about a person who's not present. And the biblical principle is this, never about, always to. To never talk about someone, but always talk to the person directly about your thoughts, about your issues, about your complaints. And if you find yourself in that position, you need to remember, never about, always to. Don't agree or disagree with the person grumbling to avoid putting yourself in a position to take sides, but remember always about, never about and always to, and encourage the person to speak to that person directly and offer your support in making that happen. And if we fail to practice this as a church family, then our Christian unity will be disrupted. And as Ray Ortland points out, our Christian witness to the world will also be undermined. So in love, let's shut down slander and gossip. For it is a greater threat to our unity and our mission of the church than adultery. The ninth commandment is about upholding justice, respecting reputation, as well as more generally speaking the truth. And so we're told in Proverbs chapter 12, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the people who are trustworthy. God wants his people to be known to be trustworthy. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to say everything we think all the time. The call to be honest is not a call to say everything without a filter. Honesty is not saying everything that comes to our mind without thinking about the consequences. So we must not confuse having an unwavering honesty with unpleasant, baseless, unsolicited judgment, which falls potentially into slander. The point is simply this. When we do speak, people should be able to trust our words. That is honesty. Our speech should be marked by integrity. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And so we speak truthfully because we are a new people. We are a free people. We're free from the bondage of sin so that we can be more like our creator God who is always trustworthy. And so to be trustworthy, we need to avoid lying. And it means not lying to cover up a mistake at work. It means not having to confess sin to someone. 
It also means not exaggerating. That easily becomes a basis for boasting to impress someone. It also means resisting the temptation at work to promise more or deliver better results than what you can actually give. Or it could be not misrepresenting your competition. And so what we see in this ninth commandment doesn't just cover up courtroom violations. It deals with all manner of falsehood and it points us to the God who is just and truthful. And so in light of who God is, in various ways, we are all liars, aren't we? In everyday circumstances. And most lies seem to be about selfishly deriving a benefit from it to either protect your own honour and reputation, to maintain your boast and status, to avoid punishment, to win an argument, to rip someone off and so on. And we see that a lie tends to hurt the deceived so that we can somehow benefit something. And so we want justice for the victims of this world, but not so much when we acknowledge that we perhaps are the culprit. We perhaps are the offended. We may not feel like the call for justice. Instead, we plea and look for forgiveness. And that's when we can look to Jesus. When we can own the sins of our speech, perjury, slander, gossip, lying, when we can own them and say that they're sin and not just slips of the tongue then we can recognise that God hates lying, then we can look to Jesus and see that people attack Jesus' reputation. They spoke false things about him at his trial. People gave false testimony about him. But Jesus, in his defence, never told a lie. We read from the Apostle Peter, he says, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth which means that we can trust Jesus' words. In a world where we're always suspicious about what people are telling us, in a world of suspicion, we can come to Jesus and trust one person where there was no deceit found in his mouth. We can come to Jesus and trust his words and trust him when he says that he offers us forgiveness of sins. We can trust him to renew our hearts and renew our speech so that we can be people of integrity whose words can be trusted just like our God. And so we can trust Jesus because no deceit was found in his mouth. And so God's word, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit are testifying to the truth about Jesus to you today. And you may find yourself sitting in a place as a judge, You might find yourself deciding about what you think about Jesus. But when you come to find the truth about Jesus, you'll find yourself meeting the judge who takes the place of our judgment so that we might be pardoned and free. And when you come to know that truth about Jesus, then your lies will turn to confession. You'll confess to the one who truly declares you to be loved and righteous by his sacrifice for your sins. So turn to Jesus if you haven't done so. Now's the opportunity to turn your lies, your web of lies to a string of confession. Confess to the one whose mouth has no deceit and declares you as righteous.
loved, forgiven, because in his mouth there is no deceit. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, may the Holy Spirit bear witness to our spirit to the truth that Jesus is our Saviour and Lord. May we turn to Jesus to give us a life made up of lies, to live a new life in the truth that we are sons of God by the grace of Jesus. Help us to speak truthfully, to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. Help us to be trustworthy so that when we speak about temporal things to our friends and family, they may trust when we get to speak about eternal things. So by your truth and spirit, may we be true witnesses to Jesus in this deceitful world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.